This week on Check the Pantry, I take a field trip to Soldatna to get a lesson from Vincent and Jessica Johnson from the Schnitzel Bomber on how to properly make schnitzel. And I get old school in the kitchen with a larding needle. We're talking pork loin today. From the studios of KBBI in Homer, Alaska, my name is Jeff Lockwood, and it's time to Check the Pantry. fear of foodborne illness than any other kind of meat, and the vast majority of that ruined pork comes from the loin. We've all eaten our share of leathery pork chops and cotton-like roasts, all served up with the admonition that if we do not obliterate the meat with heat, parasitic worms will burrow into our internal bits and consume us alive. For years, the U.S. Department of Agriculture maintained that pork must be cooked to 165 degrees Fahrenheit to be considered safe. This number had long been discredited by food scientists, but change was not forthcoming until the absurdly late date of 2011, when the USDA finally decided that cooking pork to 145 degrees was perfectly safe, as long as it maintained that temperature for three minutes. Now, many people who don't have any training in food safety pick a particular temperature to fixate on as, quote, safe. The old 165-degree recommendation for pork and poultry wasn't just pulled out of the air randomly. It's simply the temperature at which every known foodborne microorganism is killed instantly. Well, except for the spore form of botulism, but that only occurs under very specific conditions. Instant death, though, is overkill. Imagine yourself in a hot tub. It's hot because it's a little warmer than your body temperature, usually around 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Hot tubs in the U.S. are required to top out at no more than 104 degrees Fahrenheit. And it turns out that not too far above that, around 105 degrees, proteins in your body begin to denature. Denaturing protein is a huge part of Check the Pantry. In plain English, it's cooking. If you sit in a 105 degree hot tub for long enough, your body will begin to cook. It takes a very long time at these low temperatures, and you have plenty of opportunity to get out of the hot tub before the damage is irreversible. But as the temperature of the water goes up, your life expectancy goes down, as important proteins in your organs denature faster. Death becomes more and more certain, and it takes less and less time to get there. Once your body hits a certain core temperature, death is instantaneous. Now, for people, this exact temperature is difficult to pinpoint. Our bodies are equipped with sophisticated heat regulation, which tries to operate for as long as it possibly can. And some people will survive longer than others at higher core temperatures. And a study which subjected people to various core temperatures and noted how long it took them to die at each would likely be rejected by most funding authorities. Pathogenic organisms, however, are not so complex. Microbiologists can easily determine how long particular organisms can survive particular temperatures and publish tables that tell cooks how hot for how long is needed 
to kill them. In the case of pork, the organisms everyone is terrified of are parasitic roundworms from the genus Trichinella. The worms themselves only live in the intestines and are fragile, but their larvae migrate all over the body with a special fondness for skeletal muscle tissue, and they encase themselves in cysts that make them more difficult to kill. The most common species found in domestic pigs is T. spiralis, and at least in the United States and other developed nations, it is extremely uncommon nowadays in industrial pork. The main way it was transmitted was feeding uncooked garbage containing raw meat to hogs, and since 1980, cooking has been required of any garbage fed to hogs in the U.S., even if it were still common, T. spiralis is killed in 3 minutes at 136 degrees, 2 minutes at 138, 1 minute at 140, and instantly at 144. Now, determining temperature requires an accurate thermometer and a bit of good sense. You should check your temperature in a few different spots. Your piece of meat could be one temperature in one location, while a half inch away is a zone that's lagging a few degrees behind. This is why 145 degrees for three minutes was chosen. If the thermometer reads that in the thickest part of the meat, it's very unlikely that any other parts will be eight degrees lower. As long as they're within that eight degree window, three minutes is enough to eliminate the risk. It's worth noting that other Trichinella species are common in some wild game, especially bears and big cats, and the USDA still recommends cooking them to 160 degrees. Accurate time and temperature tables for those species can be found, though, if you prefer your lynx backstrap to be slightly less than well done. If you don't have a thermometer and are reliant on the old cut-and-peak test, it's not easy to tell temperature by sight. All you really know is that once the juices are clear and the meat is totally white, you're above 165 degrees. It's difficult to judge temperature by color below that. Of course, once you've gotten up there, you're right back to a dry, mostly flavorless roast. For the sake of the palates of those who eat your cooking, it might be wise to invest in the cheapest tool you can find that is guaranteed to make you a better cook, a thermometer. We are here at the Schnitzel Bomber. Which is a caboose, you said? This is a caboose. All right. And what's your name? Vincent Johnson. Vincent Johnson. And it's you and your wife that run this place, yeah. right? Yeah, my wife, right. Jessica. First question I got to ask, because I'm really curious about this. Why schnitzel? It's so fun to say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how often do you get to pull the schnitzel out of the caboose and get to sell it in town? Are you, uh, are you, are you of German extraction? Yeah. Are yeah, you? yeah. It was kind of a, an idea my wife and I had tossed around for a long time, and it, there's... Not a lot. Not a lot of people selling schnitzel around here. I think I'm the only one. You know, we did a lot of fun pairings. You know, schnitzel and waffles, or you know, it's basically done, gotten to where it's like a, a verb around here where I can schnitzel my finger in a door. <laughs> so you are primarily pork schnitzel, correct? Yeah. Although, yeah. although you do pork you do chicken. chicken too. Yeah. 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 Traditional uh, Austrian Wiener schnitzel. That's that's where you get into the veal, but not a lot of veal around. Not here. a lot of veal on the tundra right now. <laughs> do you deep fry your schnitzel or do you pan fry it? We started out pan frying, and it just got to be where I so many schnitzels at once. So yeah. I, I'll do a mix, you know, yeah. if, if I can. I'm I'm individually doing them in a pan, and then uh, we got the fryer over there, trusty, rocking you, out golden brown. Do you, do you, <laughs> you prefer one way or the other? I actually think you get a nicer crisp on the fryer. On the in the yeah, deep just fryer. In the deep fryer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We put a little uh, 
we cut our deep fat fryer with pork lard. Oh, nice. So, you know, you kind of get Hooray. that. Yeah, yeah. We're going for the goods. You yeah, know, it's yeah. all about the uh, the crisp, you know. And uh, So do you, uh, when you when you get your pork in, or you're using loin, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. do you get, you just buy in a whole loin and Yeah, and yeah boneless loins right now. And my wife, she's she's the butcher. We, we hand pound every schnitzel. Hand pounded schnitzel. <laughs> okay, so how thick are you cutting yours? Because this is something I've always wondered, you know. Because ideally, you want it. I mean, it's it's thin when you make it. You right, know, right, so, yeah. So how thick are you cutting your So chops? what we do is, uh, you know, we're going for coverage. We're going for the maximum schnitzel we can put on that plate. And what I do is about two fingers butterflied. So I'll get two oh, fingers so and then butterfly it. it and ah. then we pound it out after it's been butterflied. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. Okay, I always wondered how they got them so huge. Yeah, that, that's that's the trick right there is the butterflying it out. You know, it's so obvious that you say that, but I like you know I've always I've always sat there and I've pounded stuff and I'm like, man, I mean it's big, you know. It's, but then you go to some places and like, I mean it covers the whole plate. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. and that's I mean you guys are just about like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We had this machine for a little bit. I bought it right before Christmas and it's got like knives that it rolls through and we would run them through that for a while, but that thing took a dive on like the on the fifth oh, like use. Is, is that uh, the uh, the jackard? Or, yeah. Oh, well, okay. I don't know. It's it, it's the. Hobart 403. Like, I don't know. The jackguard is the one that you punch down. Right. And this is more of a mechanical spinning. Oh, okay. It's like some out of a Tim Burton movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you've got your so you got your pork loin, you cut it into two fingers, butterfly it. What's your what's your breading philosophy? Because breading is like a We uh for breading, you know, we, we keep it pretty standard. Okay. Um I, I have a flour mix that we go into first. That's okay. uh just uh, seasoned flour with uh, paprika and white pepper. Okay. We season each schnitzel before we go into there, you know, salt okay. only. And then um, toss it in the seasoned flour into an egg wash. You know, that's always kind of like an eyeball thing about an egg per right. cup of milk maybe. And yeah. then in, we use a, uh, a bread mix of uh, panko and uh, Italian bread. Panko and, yeah. you know what I just found out yesterday that I, I actually had no idea. I would've, I'd always wondered how why panko was different. Have you ever wondered that? It's just bigger? Well, you know, you know how it's like it's got that flaky texture, and right, it's, right, right. And it's it's kind of light, and and I always was like, how do they get that? You know how they do it? I have no idea. This is amazing. They don't bake their they don't bake the bread for the panko in an oven. They bake it using electric current. They run electric <laughs> That's current. That's freaking awesome. They right? run a, they run electric current through the dough, and that makes a bread with no crust, right? Who thought that up? The Japanese. Who's, I mean, okay, like, so, so this, so like, this, is, this actually, is a wild dude, right? This, this is guy. the story. The, the story. <laughs> well, the woman, who knows? The story, the, supposedly where Panko comes from is uh, in World War II, when the Japanese were fighting the Russians, like towards the end, right. there was supposedly, and this is, it's probably crap, you know, like probably just a story that's made up, but supposedly tank crews wanted to bake bread, but they didn't have an oven because they're, a tank, you know. Right. So they figured out that if they hooked up the, the tank battery up to the, up to the, the loaf of, up to the dough, the electrical current would cook the bread. And I'm buying it. Supposedly that's where it I'm came from. It. I, I don't think know. we need to put this. I'm, I'm, if anybody wants to come try that one out, let's bring a couple of batteries up to the schnitzel bomber and uh, get weird with some dough. Make some housemade, <laughs> some housemade traditional panko. Exactly. Yeah, and then and so then after that, after they bake this bread and that has no uh, no crust, which is why it's completely white, you know. Huh. Then and they grate it, you know, with regular breadcrumbs. We just dry it out and run it through a food processor, right. basically, and that crumbs it. But they they grate it on like massive industrial grade. I thought I was being tricky, just using like stovetop smashed up sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> getting weird with the breadcrumbs. But yeah, man, no, that's another level. No artisanal panko is is made with uh, 
with electrical cooked bread. That's uh, <laughs> that's new to me. That's definitely. <laughs> I know. I was I was just like I was blown away. I yeah. want to try this whole method of cooking on other things. <laughs> like if we. <laughs> I wonder if you hooked up a battery to like a whole pig, if you could cook it that way. <laughs> Hook it up to a pork loin and just slow zap. Electrically I don't cooked. Know. That's probably going to be a thing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Future dining. Be a lot less hot. Yeah. Can we do it with solar? Can we do <laughs> 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 solar schnitzel? <laughs> it sounds kind of dangerous, but so you use a, a three part a three part breading. It's not like a batter or anything. No, no. Okay. Are there? Because I feel like there are some. I mean, because schnitzel itself. I mean, everybody has. Everybody's got some kind of. There's a, a variation of it. Yeah. All know, over the world. You know. Cutlet. Yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. not just a uh, German phenomenon or European. There's Israeli and. South America, they got schnitzel kind of going on yeah. down there. With, but uh, tonkatsu, there's, yep. uh, they, they do it all over. So we're just kind of uh, schnitzeling our own variation here in Kalifornski. When you uh, when you do when you do the the chickens, do you how do you how do you prepare That's those? The, those are the tricky ones because I mean really they want to just you were, we're using breast and and when you start smashing into those things, they yeah. want to rip. It, it's all in the in the pound. Yeah. it's all in the technique. It's kind of a you know, we, we butterfly those as well. We pull out any sinew, and same as on our loins too, we strip right. it from any sinew and uh, pull off like a, a chain basically that we'll use for soups and stocks. Mm -hmm. um, do, you, do you buy in, are you getting in uh, like the whole chickens or are you getting in uh, I'm buying just, just breasts breast right now, yeah. Boned out? Boned out, ready okay. to roll. And then are so they already butterfly so so No, they're not butterflies. So you're they're just, all different sizes. Yeah, so it's, okay. it's uh, you know, just kind of a... Yeah, because American, American mutant chickens are so hard to deal with that way, you know, because, like, I mean, I basically, if I'm going to cut the breast off a chicken now, I always butterfly it because, mm -hmm. you know, you, you try to cook the friggin' three-inch breast or whatever they are. Yeah, just, it's <laughs> toast on the outside and, and sashimi in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I always feel that, like, you know, that giant breast is part of the reason that, you know, so many people complain about dry chicken. Yeah, you know, I, they're not supposed to be that big. No, no, we're getting weird with the chickens and that, like, just this. Uh, we, we had uh, we did meat birds here at the house and yeah. um, got some birds that were, you know, I guess genetically bred for large breast. And I mean, at the end of a couple months, these things could hardly yeah. stand. They yeah. were just like, just almost topple over. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The Cornish, the Cornish cross. <laughs> is that the? That's 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 what it is. It's a it's a hybrid between the Cornish. Uh, breed and the rock mm. um and and they and they are they're bred to they're bred to just specifically have a huge breast and only eat and do nothing else they were they, they took over my house completely they basically like just said this you know we got i think 15 of them at first thinking that we would just kind of let them run by the end of it they had my dogs kind of pegged up going for dog food i mean they, they were just mean <laughs> like, you know. the only thing they wanted was to eat yeah In the kitchen with my knife and my cutting board and a lovely pork loin. I just cranked the oven to 425, which is usually about the temperature I like to cook my pork loin. Roast, I like to roast my pork loin at. Um, sometimes I'll do it a little hotter than that. Sometimes, usually not a little less. Nothing, nothing less than 425. Pork loin is obviously a very lean cut of pork. It's kind of a problem, really, because American pigs over the last 50 years or so have increasingly gotten bred to be leaner and leaner and leaner. 
There's very little marbling on a modern American pig. Despite an old reputation as being fatty, modern pork is super, super lean. And especially a cut like the loin, which is what I've got here today, there's barely any fat on the inside. There's hardly any marbling. There's fat on the top, obviously. It's got a little bit of, of fat left on top, but even, even now, most butchers cut that way, way down. Really old school pork, it used to be common to get a loin that still had a really hefty layer of fat on top. If you got it cut like English style, it's really it was really common to have skin on top of that, and that is really awesome because then you can score the skin, you can slow roast the pork, so the fat kind of renders out, and then at the end, you hit it with high heat, and the skin puffs up, and you get a really nice crackling. But in the modern world, some good things have gone by the wayside. So generally, we have uh, just a fairly skinny fat cap, which is what I've got here. It's maybe a quarter inch, eighth of an inch, something like that. You got to be a little bit careful when you roast these guys. It's very lean. It's naturally a tender cut. And there is very little collagen within the meat. So there is no reason to cook it for a long time. People occasionally, you'll, people will wonder, oh, can I make pulled pork out of out of a pork loin or, oh, I cooked a pork loin in my crock pot for eight hours and now it's like dry and stringy and not very good. Well, that's because there's very little collagen. This is one or two, I guess, in this case, in this section of the, the pork loin, it's two individual muscles. And so there's very little collagen separating the muscles. So there's nothing to melt and turn into gelatin. There's no reason to cook it for a long time. What we're doing with a pork loin and also with pork chops is cooking them pretty hot, pretty fast, um, just till the inside is just done. And so like we said, like we talked about in the intro to the show, we're only going to cook this to 147 is kind of my ideal temperature for a pork loin. It's nice, very, very pale pink on the inside. It's juicy. It's delicious. And uh, 147 you don't need to overcook pork, please. I don't know how often we have to reiterate this, but even the FDA says you don't have to overcook pork. This is just a plain old regular pork loin. It's not a tenderloin. A tenderloin is a different thing. A tenderloin is from the other side of the rib cage. It's from the inside of the rib cage, and it's much tenderer. Usually a tenderloin will, uh, pork tenderloins will come um, whole as well, but they're very small, and they're a whole different thing. I mean, you can cook them basically the same way, but they're, uh, they're not the same thing as a pork loin. A loin is from the back of the pig. It runs along the backbone on top. It's where we get pork chops from. It's where we get uh, pork loin roast, which is what we've got here today. It's not packed with flavor, I would say. It's just a very clean, sort of honest, porky flavor. And it's cheap. There are, there are a lot of reasons why I like pork. I like the flavor, I like the versatility, but one of the things that I really like about it is that it's really not very expensive. I think this whole thing, I've got, I'm looking at probably, I'm guessing, if, I can't remember exactly how big this thing is, but it's probably in the neighborhood of three pounds, maybe a little over three pounds, and I think it costs maybe a little under eight bucks. So that's pretty cheap, and this is a sizable piece of meat. This can feed, I mean, this could feed quite a few people at a dinner party, you know, if there were a bunch of other things going on. The nice thing about pork roast, too, is that after it's cooked, it makes awesome sandwiches. Or you can buy this whole thing, cut it into uh, slices across it while it's raw, and then you've got pork chops. It's really versatile. We're not going to talk about pork chops today. One day, maybe we'll do a show just on pork chops. But today... Today we're talking about the loin in general, but right now I want to talk about roasting pork because roast pork is so awesome. It's such a simple weeknight 
meal. But it's also if you do get a really nice heritage pig, and if, especially if you get one that does have a lot of crackling or something on it, it's a really special cut of meat, too. It's one of those that can be really simple or you can scale it up and make it really elegant. You know, <laughs> you can stud it with truffles and stuff like that, which maybe one day we'll have the budget to stud a pork loin with truffles. But that's not going to happen today. A lot of times, honestly, I will do I will just roast a simple pork loin with some salt and maybe a little pepper, some kind of a spice rub sometimes on the outside. I eat one of those. We, we do one of those probably once a week. And then you get sandwiches out of it. Um, today for the show, we're going to be a little bit fancier, but we're going to revive an old technique. And it's called larding. <laughs> and it sound, it's pretty much what it sounds like. It involves lard, except not really, because what we call lard is uh, rendered pork fat. And lard or lardons in the original, uh, in the French translation where we get the word, means unrendered fat. Typically, fat back, which we're in Alaska, it's hard to find fat back. I've struggled for years to find reliable sources of fat back, and they don't really exist. I could use pork belly, but I didn't really want to go out and buy a whole thing of pork belly just to do uh, a few lardons for this thing. So I'm going to do something that is probably sacrilegious, and if any high-end French chefs ever hear this show, they're going to freak out and probably write me nasty emails. I'm going to use bacon <laughs> because it's it's fatty pork. Even though it's smoked, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a bacon flavor. That's just how it's going to be today. So what larding is... It requires you to have a very fancy tool called a larding needle. And a larding needle, I'm sitting here, I'm holding it in my hand. That You can hear it right there. That's the larding needle. And a larding needle, is a tri it's, a, it's got a triangular cross-section. And it's this one is about, I would say, 8 inches long. One end is pointy, and one end has a clamp that looks like an alligator jaw. And so what you do is you poke the pointy end of the larding needle into the roast. And once you get toward the end, you take a strip of your lardon. Traditionally, again, it would be a piece of fat back. In our case today, I'm using bacon. And you clamp that in the end, and you run it just under the fat side of the pork loin, which is going to be our top side. And you pull it through there, and then you leave it hanging out. These, uh, all these lardons, they're maybe, they're like a quarter inch wide and like two inches long. And all you do is you make a little row of them. You sew them into the meat. And they almost look like little ribbons sort of hanging out of the, of the roast. You just make a nice, neat little row of very short stitches. And you put your little ribbons of lardon. It's, it's, it's pretty easy. It's sort of labor-intensive in that it takes a while, but it's fairly it's a fairly simple process. You're always going to have basically two rows across the top, and then depending on how many lardons you have and how large the roast is, you might put two more down along the sides, running in parallel. And there is a great controversy, as there always is in food. There is always a controversy of some kind. I have seen multiple arguments for running the lardons across the grain of the meat or with the grain of the meat. And I am currently running it across the grain of the meat, which no doubt will get me shot in some places and no doubt will get me celebrated in others. Perhaps there is a specific reason why you choose one way over the other. If there is, I don't know what it is. 
to be honest. Um, so my little, all you do is you just, you poke the pointy end through the meat, you attach the clamp on the other side, and you run your, your little, your little ribbon of bacon, your lardon, into the hole, and it comes out. It's very neat looking. So the, the reason for doing this is for flavor, because this is, again, these are, this is a lean cut of pork, and fat, as we all know, carries flavor. So things taste better if they have a little more fat in them. It's, it, this is something that, uh, it's very often done to, to poultry. Um, it's frequently done to wild game. Um, a lot of times, you know, you'll see like, people will lard, uh, say the breast of a pheasant or venison or uh, beef tenderloin sometimes gets larded. In almost all cases, the larding is actually done with pork, uh, with pork fat or pork belly. Or for heretics like me, we just use bacon because that's what we've got. And, you know, at the end of it, after you've roasted everything, you'll get some really nice crispy bits of uh, crispy fatty pork. And crispy fatty pork, as we all know, is very delicious. The other thing is it looks really nice. This is, this is the top of the meat. This is the presentation side. Um, I, you always, even if you're not larding, make sure to always roast your pork loin with the fat up top, unless you're doing it on a spit, uh, in front of an open flame, in which case, obviously it's going to rotate, but put the fat up top. Uh, it's a good, it, it protects the meat below it from overcooking and any fat that renders off the top will then drip down the sides of your roast and add lovely flavor to that. Now there is another technique that is related that you may actually have heard of because it's still fairly common and it's called barding and as opposed to what we're doing which is larding. Barding is when you wrap the meat on the outside uh, with a fat. So if you've ever for instance wrapped your wrapped a meatloaf in uh, bacon that is barding. It's very common with poultry um, and it's also somewhat common with with uh, pork loin or you know other lean cuts like this. Just about any cut that you can lard, you can also bard. And again, the goal is to add some additional fat to a cut that's fairly lean and to add some additional flavor and uh, to make things look nice. Um, barding is very often done with, uh, you know, again, you can do it with bacon, but it's most common with, with big sheets of fat back that wrap like the whole, the whole thing in there. So my pork loin is now, larded and I should say too that I did uh, I salted the pork loin beforehand if the longer in in front of cooking you can salt it the better so what are the, the I'm, I'm, I'm beating around the bush here because I, I'm, I'm really excited about talking about one of the classic accompaniments to schnitzel which is also one of the best known German foods. But what do you guys usually serve it with? Fries. Fries. Fries, yeah, that's that's the, the go-to for most folks around here. We do a Parmesan truffle fry. Oh yeah. But sometimes I, I haven't I haven't had the, the, the good fortune of being here when you have it. Sometimes you guys have spetzel. That's true, yeah, yeah. I've got it. I've got the uh, the setup and the uh, paraphernalia over here to kind of make oh, it happen today. Yes. So I'll, uh, yes. I love I, I love making spetzel, but um I, it's a pain in the ass. It's, it's in, <laughs> a little bit. You know, it's it's tough. 
it's it's not really that hard. It's just a. Uh, it's finicky. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things if you if you don't make it just right, you're you're you'll end up with tiny little itty bitty spitzlave nodes. <laughs> well I'm excited to see you do because I just that I'd had it, but I'd never made it. And I mean it wasn't some I'm not German, so you know, my mom never made it or anything. So this is I a, learned how to do it out of the joy of cooking, but I've never seen an actual like legitimate Spetzelmeister. Yeah, I use Wolfgang Puck's recipe here. Okay. And I'm actually making a huge batch here for the restaurant so so right now I'm just busting cracking some eggs I'm gonna use uh, four yolks and I've got I'm actually using 12 yolks here because I'm doing the recipe let me do some quick math so do you need the actual recipe you want the just tell me what you got to tell me all right I got eggs egg yolks and what's, milk yeah what's the, <laughs> well what is it what is the rough ratio just so you know if, you know it's uh I'm putting you on the spot, I know. <laughs> yeah. We talk um, about ratios a lot on the show, so. Okay. My recipe here, I've got nine cups of flour going with four yolks, four eggs, and uh, five and a quarter cup of milk. Okay. I'm going to hit that with uh, maybe a half a teaspoon of salt, and then I'm going to separate my dry from my wet. Okay. I'm going to season the uh, the flour, I guess, with just a little bit of salt and nutmeg to taste. Okay. Nutmeg, don't really want to go crazy. You'll kill a dish quick. So just a dash of that. Um, and then I'm going to slowly incorporate the eggs into the dry, and then I'm going to get a, a nice pourable batter, but not too stiff, but not too runny. Okay. And that's just one of those things that you kind of have to, to eyeball, I guess. Right. Or just, uh, you know, you might need to add more milk or more flour, depending on... So you want it You want it to basically be like a like a really thick batter that you can pour, right? Like a pancake batter, almost. I mean, oh, it's, oh it's, that thin. Uh, well... I don't know if I'd go pancake batter, but you know, you want it strong enough that it'll sit up on itself a little bit. Okay. But you know, if I were to like whisk it up and kind of do the test to watch my, uh, you know, do like a little figure eight test and see if you can stand a figure eight up on there. Oh yeah, yeah. Without it going dissipating completely away. Immediately. So you're you're right about there is okay. what we're going for. Uh, yeah. And just all-purpose flour is what you're using. Yeah. So I'm gonna add four eggs. People are gonna be excited because you gave me that in cups. They get really mad at me because I'm You're always going grand, yeah. going metric. Yeah, I'm always, I'm always throwing metric at them, and people get mad. It's more precise. It's a, it's a, a better way to, especially bake, really. Um, so I'm gonna add my milk into here and buzz that. Oh, you got somebody. Oh man, oh, oh, that's the missus. Aha, and the mister. My kid. What's up? Do you need me to stick around? Do you want to come on in? Um, I was going to take him to a friend's house. All right. Hi, I'm Bunny's wife, Jessica. Hi, Jessica. I'm nice Jeff. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Jeff. Uh, cool. Yeah, I'll be back around here in a second. Do you need anything else while I'm out? No, we're good. Okay, we'll see you guys. Right, right on. <laughs> Please drive through. That's, that's the, <laughs> the drive through only here. <laughs> second get it incorporated and I'm gonna hit it with my liquid just kind of add it to the middle here just kind of let it slowly hydrate itself and ideally you want to let this sit for at least an hour just to kind of chill after you mix it okay
calculated pulses without. Yeah, the old, <laughs> the old. How do I mix this in my KitchenAid without exploding it everywhere? Wearing it. <laughs> so I'm just gonna let that go for about five minutes, probably. Crank our water up, yeah. hot salted water. At least she came back in time with some salt for me, so. Here. Oh yeah, so it's ribboning up, falling back in. And that's gonna pour through our, per what we're gonna do is we're set up a, a big water bath here. Okay. Get that boiling, and then uh, it's Are you gonna, gonna put like a perforated hotel pan? That's, 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 that's the trick. That's how you do it. That's okay. the trick, yeah. You, know, you mean you don't do the thing where you get the board, the board. and you're, you're like, Grandma, <laughs> oh, oh my spetzler, I'm not here when I've got a, it's uh, it's almost an art to watch that. <laughs> I tried to do it once and it was like horrible. No, nah. yeah. yeah. They, they've also got like a, the press. It's kind of like the Play-Doh Fun Factory. That's basically what I, I use my <laughs> I use my potato ricer. Yeah, now. that'll work. That's you know, in a pinch. I uh, used to do it. I used to just like drop big globs of it in there and then I'd get these big sort of floating dumplings. But they all stick together. That's a trick when you when you do this is that you kind of want to have something kind of help agitate the water on a batch this size. Uh -huh. Is as as the noodles fall in, we're gonna basically pour the noodles batter over in the perf pan, let them drip into the into the water, and then uh, if they if you pile them up too high, they'll kind of settle on each other and turn right. into one globule. So yeah. agitating the water definitely helps. Okay, I'll, I'll keep that in mind because that is that is one problem I've had occasionally with my potato ricer. Is that you, when they when they you squeeze them through and they're great and then they're as soon as they hit the water they all sort of get back together. Yeah. Usually I can get them apart, but I, I have had a couple times where it was like uber spetzel. Yeah. <laughs> get a steak knife out. And... <laughs> Got my perf pan and my water going. Glove up. It's uh, this one gets kind of messy. Now I want to get an ice bath ready as well. So as they as they cook. I'm gonna pop them out into the ice bath so I can reheat them up. Yeah, okay. They're almost always cooked again, right? I mean, yeah, well, nobody yeah, ever really eats them out of the water. No. Um, in here, when we're making such a big batch, but every time I've seen, I mean, you could definitely could eat them yeah. without without actually crisping them up at all. But well, why would you? I mean, it's it's night and day. It's just kind of <laughs> like shoot. I'm not a fan of, of the without the crisp on the side. I've, I've had them both ways. Make, gotta, this way's make, way better. Do you? Uh, so at the end, are you gonna be? Are you baking them or are you gonna be sa uh, sautéing them? So yeah, I, I, I sauté them up okay. after I pull them off. I usually do it here on the flat top, and we'll right. take some pork fat and. Kind of just Secret crisp everything. it up there, set it on there, forget it for a second, and you get a nice little golden brown. Right. Let me get my water bath and then we'll uh, do this. Where's your pork fat coming from? Are you rendering it yourself? Or? Yeah. Yeah, we're rendering everything up. Alright, so I'm gonna pour a little bit in here and see if we're gonna get the right consistency here. You just got a pastry a dough scraper. Yeah. Look at them, they're perfect. Little sparrows. They're perfect. Is that that's what it means? That's, that's the translation. Really? Little sparrows, yeah. Huh. Oh, yeah, they look way better than, than mine in the potato riser. You ever use the uh, the, the spetzel maker that, you know, with the it looks like a cheese grater with the, the thing on top of it that rides on, on top? No, I, I've seen that. They get, they get really nice big long noodles with that though. It's a, Do they? Yeah, that's, that's, that might be something we might have. This is something that I've just kind of 
because of the amount of steps that goes with it, it's kind of tough for me and the missus to pull it off right. on a regular. But I think my special games kit in there to where like I can do this more often and maybe invest in something like that. Or, yeah. But yeah, we got nice noodles here. Yeah, they're beautiful. And basically, you just want to let these go for a minute, you know, let them boil. And once they float up to the top, essentially they're done. I let them go for another 45 seconds, a minute up. after that, and just kind of... And then when you store them for later use, are you, uh, do you like toss them in butter or fry them out or what do you, what do you? I just toss them in a little bit of vegetable oil. Okay. Kind of make sure they're good and dried off. They'll, they'll soak up any moisture. If you, if you keep them in the bath too long, they'll kind of get right. soggy and soak all that up. So you want to kind of get them out and drained off. Okay. Uh, you can freeze them. Oh, that makes sense. How long will they, will they keep for in the fridge? You know, luckily we've been busy enough to not find <laughs> out. <laughs> so, the, the At truth least on that, I, I imagine, you, you know, I've, I've made them a batch, you know, on a Friday and come in on a Monday and they've been great. So, I mean, anywhere, maybe five days, maybe. Now, the next thing I'm going to do, and this is a, this is a little step that's, it's very nice to do because it makes everything look nice, but it's not totally necessary. I'm gonna tie my pork loin. I got a piece of kitchen twine. You can do it, uh, there's a couple ways of doing it. One is where you can just tie a bunch of individual pieces of twine, or you can do what I typically do, which is use one long piece of twine. There are a lot of things in the world that are very difficult to describe using just words, and knot tying is definitely one of those. So if you're interested in learning how to tie a roast up, there are many excellent YouTube tutorials. Or you might have a friendly butcher who can demonstrate the technique. But it's a real simple, it's, it's a nice thing to learn because you get really nice uh, looking slices, everything's sort of uniform, and it looks cool. Plus, you know, it's a fishing town. You need to get comfortable with knots. My pork loin is larded and lovely salted and i'm not going to add any more spices right now because you know we're roasting kind of hot so if you add if you if you have too many spices on early on uh, sometimes they have a tendency to burn a lot of times you know I, I might make a paste with them with some oil and cover the whole thing with that another thing that you can do which is what my mom used to always do and i really like it i just don't do it very often and i'm not really sure why um, probably laziness is uh, you can poke holes lengthwise in your loin or in the sides and stuff that with slivers of garlic is what my mom always used. Or you can make like a paste of garlic and oil and maybe some spices and you can insert that into the loin, you know, down the side of it. And that'll flavor it from the inside. And it's fantastic. It's a really awesome uh, trick. So what I'm going to do here right now is now that my my oven is nice and hot and going at 425. I am going to put this in my pan. I do have, I personally do have a, a roasting pan, but you actually don't really need one for a pork loin because they're at least one this size. This is like a half size. The actual, the full loin would extend probably twice as long as this. This is, oh, it's about a foot long. Um, a full loin would be about twice that length. Um, and that would contain the sirloin end. This, end, this particular end uh, does not contain the sirloin. This is kind of a center cut. It looks like, yeah, the, towards the end, it, it kind of tapers off and you can see where the, the sirloin is just beginning. 
but I just have a skillet with a with a rack, an oven safe rack on top of it, uh, because I didn't want to bust out my whole big roasting pan. But even if you if you don't have a big roasting pan, which if you don't do a lot of big roasts, there isn't a reason to. This pork loin will fit just nicely on a rack on top of a skillet. You can even you can do them straight in the uh, the skillet. It's just. It's nicer with a roast to have air circulation all around it. You'll just get a better result in general. It'll cook more evenly. If you cook it right on the skillet, the air will be hot. So the top will cook really fast, but the bottom will cook slower because it's sitting on the skillet. Or you can preheat the skillet, and then the, the stuff sitting on the skillet will cook really fast because it's sitting on a hot skillet, and the top will cook slower. So it's just easier when you're roasting to have a lot of air circulating around your roast. Almost half hour later, and uh, I'm about ready to check check my roast and see how it's looking. But first, I'm gonna bang my little glaze together that I'm gonna put on it, uh, so that it, presuming that the roast is on track, uh, then we can just throw the glaze on, finish it up, and we'll be done. Got my mortar and pestle out. I'm gonna do a really simple glaze. They're nice if you if you have a little bit of a contrast between maybe sweet and sometimes bitter, sometimes sweet and sour. And today I'm gonna to go a little contrast between a little bit of sweet and a little bit of heat. So I've got some garlic, because you need garlic. And I'm just gonna pound that in my mortar and pestle real briefly. It's not a lot of garlic, it's just a couple cloves. You know, we're not gonna have overpowering garlic flavor. So that's good. I'm not adding, I added a little tiny amount of salt, um, but not very much, because obviously the pork loin has been salted on the outside. So now I'm doing some black pepper, and I've got some paprika, and I like to be generous with paprika. Paprika and pork are fantastic together. And a little bit of a spicier red pepper. This is this happens to be Aleppo pepper because I, I still have some kicking around, um, and it's got a nice kind of fruity flavor, and a little bit of heat. But you can use ground chilies or you know whatever, whatever sort of pepper you'd like. And I'm gonna add. A different kind of heat, a little dried mustard, some Coleman's. Um, you can also use just regular mustard. Mustard and pork, obviously, are fabulous together. And so these guys are all in my mortar and pestle. And I'm gonna add something sweet, which is maple syrup. Because who doesn't love maple syrup? I sure do. But you can, you can use brown sugar, um, you can use molasses. But do it right at the end because you don't want your you don't want the sugars in the glaze to burn. And the same thing if you were gonna do like if if instead of going uh, a sweeter glaze route, you wanted to go like a pesto or any kind of an herb paste um, with a lot of oil or anything like that. Add that towards the end as well so that again so it doesn't burn. So I got my little my little bit of maple maple mustard pepper glaze. And I'm gonna check on my pork. Oh, and it's so pretty. Starting to brown really nicely with some little attractive bits of, uh, of bacon sticking out all over the place. I'm going to crank my stove up just a little bit, or my oven up just a little bit to 450. And I have a pastry brush, and I'm just gonna glaze this, run this on there. Orange juice is a classic option. Apple juice, apple cider. Obviously pork and apples are fantastic. I mean, if you really want to get freaky, you could do some grape juice. 
Although what I would probably do instead of grape juice is, is to serve roasted grapes. And I can't remember if we've talked about roasted grapes on the show. Because if we haven't, I want to talk about them because they are, uh, they are shockingly delicious. Especially for roast meats. Roasted grapes are just fantastic. So it's not a heavy glaze. It's just a real light one kind of on the top. It's going to crisp up a little in the oven. Uh, it'll caramelize a little. The sugars will caramelize a little. Everything will just give it a nice sort of beautiful deep brown color and a really nice um, complement to the mildness of the pork. And it's going to be really delicious. I'm very excited. And so I'm going to stick this back in the oven for probably another 20 to 30 minutes. I'm going to check it in 15 because I don't want it. I don't want to overcook it. So I will be back in 15 minutes to check this. Oh my God. Oh wow. <laughs> this looks freaking terrific. There's little chunky bits of my bacon lardons that are all crispy and brown. In fact, they are a little too crispy and brown. So I'm gonna bring my temp down a little bit, but the outside of this thing is looking fantastic. And we're at 110 degrees right now. So I've got a little ways to go. Probably this will be another 15 to 20 minutes. Um, so I'm gonna turn it down. I'm gonna turn the oven down because I don't want the outside to get any browner than it already is. So I'm turning it down to 375. Oh yeah. Oh man, it looks so good. And here we go, back in the oven for... So I'm gonna let that go for another 20 minutes and I think we'll be totally there. So right about an hour total for our entire pork loin cook, which isn't very long, you know? You throw this thing in when, when you get home from work and dinner's ready in an hour. That is lovely, truly, truly lovely. It's brown, it's slightly crispy looking, and it is 148 degrees, which is dead on where we wanna be. So I am turning this off. I'm gonna let this roast sit and rest, as you always want to do so that the juices can redistribute themselves. You'll notice uh, the difference between a, a rested piece of meat and a piece of meat that is not rested is dramatic when you go to cut into them. Um, if you don't rest and you cut into it right away, it'll just gush juices. So always, 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 anytime you roast meat or even cook a steak or anything over a dry heat like that, um, always, always, always let it sit for just a few minutes, you know? For a smaller piece of meat like a steak, I mean, five to 10 minutes is fine. Um, for a larger piece of meat, let it go a little longer for this. I'll let it sit for 10 to 15 minutes and uh, I could even go 20, probably 15 is what I'll do. It'll be perfect in the end. And then I can slice this thing up and all my, oh man, these little, it, it's it's kind of adorable really. There's little, there's little bits of bacon sticking up everywhere going like, hello, we're the other part of the pig. It's really lovely. Um, I'm very excited about this. Obviously, I gotta, when you tie a roast like this, before you start slicing it, make sure that you cut the, cut the string off because getting a piece of string in your dinner is never any good. Pork loin, it's amazing, it's simple, so versatile. Chops, roast loin, and schnitzel.
little things. I figured we could kind of experiment with what my special is going to be this week. All right. So I pickled some uh, Brussels sprouts. Nice. And I made like a butter, well, not a, a butter sprout. Brussels sprout. Uh, not really a pesto, more of like a tapenade with some black olives. I see. And uh, how'd you pickle the Brussels sprouts out? Vinegar? Uh, vinegar. Okay. Uh, yep. Cider, cider vinegar. Okay. And then just uh, canned black olives, really. Ran them through the food processor, hit them with some uh, Kenai River Brewery. They gave us some really cool IPA to make a mustard, so we do an IPA honey mustard. Oh, nice. So we got that kind of going on in there. And uh, just a little salt. Got some bacon cooked off. So we'll take our spetzle here and get them on the grill. salt we're gonna watch our salt a little bit here just because what we got going with it the olives and everything is probably gonna be a little salty right I'm gonna throw those on our, our flat top grill and let them go for about two minutes okay take some uh, pork fat that I've got rendered off over here put a big old fatty spoonful of that on top of them to kind of kind of make everything better yeah parsley pork that we chopped up bacon I guess we could fry a schnitzel to go with this if you feel like eating some schnitzel. I mean, that's why I'm here. That's, that's, <laughs> that's why we're here. I'm, I'm so glad that the good people at Sabatna and I know have, uh, kept me around this long. And when's the uh, when's the Homer Branch gonna open? Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. What was your fry roll? You said half pork fat, half. Oh, uh, I'm more more like a quarter of lard, quarter. a quarter of the pork fat, and then we use just regular fry roll with that. Gotcha. Flatten these guys out, let them sit and get good and crispy. I don't know. I've never actually been to Germany. I need to go check it out and see what <laughs> what their Paradise. schnitzel games like over there. Well, I did hear uh, supposedly the the real Austrian schnitzel connoisseurs in Vienna. You know, they say that a properly fried schnitzel, you should be able to sit on it. You should be able to sit on it in your yeah. To sit on it? You should be able to sit on it in your finest clothes, and when you get up, there shouldn't be a grease stain. Right. I've, I've always heard that you're supposed to be able to like run, run your fin your knife around the actual schnitzel, the, the air. You know, I've seen people where people do it like different ways, where they'll fry it in three different temperature oils. Oh wow! So they'll start. Yeah, I mean, it's like a full-on setup where they'll have like you know three different stages of oil, and it goes really quick, but they get this nice puff huh. of air on the last one, and it kind of separates the the uh, egg batter or the the batter from the from the schnitzel. So the first like is it a, is it like a low temperature up to a higher temperature? Or is That's it the what other? I would imagine. I, I don't know for sure. Yeah. Wow, I've never heard of that. Mm -hmm. we'll get the bacon in there. When they come out, we uh, hit them with some lemon juice, a little bit of salt. Throw that on. Traditionally, I think they would throw in some Gruyere or some Emmentaler cheese. <laughs> kind of fill it, finish which, it out there. So. Which is a lot easier when you live like right next door to Gruyere. Yeah. But there's our. That's nice. the spetzle with black olive and pickled Brussels sprout. Tapenade. I think we'll be getting some some good cheese to probably throw in there mm. with it. Looks really good. Tastes it too. I've never made this before. <laughs> so this is kind of a. I will say I will say that that I actually generally I don't care for olives because nope. I find them really overpowering, but they're very in here. 
like because there's so much else going on, it actually works really well. It's not that I never like the flavor. It's just that I feel like with olives, Overkill. like it, every and and it, it's just me. I know some people love them. That I like. Thanks. Because and I think it's the contrast of the olives and the Brussels sprouts that are that's making it work. It's all it's all the balance, you know. You want the olives to kind of bounce off the, the bacon fat right. in there and kind of cut through that. Which is why actually one of the only other things that I've ever found that I like with olives is actually salmon. Oh yeah. Yeah. Salmon salmon and olives work really well. I think this is super good. Thanks. I think I want to throw it back on here though. Oh. Let turn some cheese over it. Sound like my wife now. That's pretty good, but really it could use some cheese. Yeah. Cheese <laughs> and fire. <laughs> some nice cheese curds here. I'm gonna throw a little strip of it. Wait, cheese curds? Yeah. Where'd you get those? Oh, uh, my wife picked them up from uh, from the purveyor the other day. You want a poutine? <laughs> you want a poutine? I mean, <laughs> I'll make that this extra right here. Yep. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't make me a poutine Just because a I. Mini. I can't eat schnitzel and poutine, and then I'll die. That's, we're gonna we're our, gonna schnitzel your poutine. <laughs> that's, 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 go on. that's our special is schnitzel poutine. You really? Both. Yeah. Oh, but we'll man. make you a mini, mini. Plus our gravy is made from like bone broth, and we cook it for days with all the tomatoes and everything. So like our gravy is. Okay, I'm sold. So I think that's gonna be a bit more on point to where it's gonna be as far as our special. If anything, maybe a pinch of lemon zest at this point. But oh yeah. Cheese kind of really helps that out. It really, yeah, it really does. It really ties the room together. <laughs> <laughs> You're out of your element. <laughs> oh, this is right in my element. This is really good. That is really good. I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah, just everything kind of working together. You, you know, the fat for, cutting against right, the exactly. Well, acid. But, but for as rich and you know, as for rich and as much like you know, pork fat and, and eggs and all this other stuff like it, it it's actually very light on the palate you know it's not they're heavy fluffy. at all yeah. yeah yeah they're not like sitting in the stomach like you know uh, like lead yeah man that was delicious dig in there i love it yeah i love it it's fantastic yeah it's, i mean we cook everything fresh we, we're, we're not like having you don't have any heat lamps or anything here yeah. everything is cooked right through the spot you know we, we try to go with obviously as much from scratch um you can always tell you, you know. can always tell when somebody loves what they're doing, and when true. they when they when they like actually are taking their time yeah. and making sure that they're giving you what they would want, right. or you know that they're yeah. using each ingredient to the best of its you know possible uh, ways it can go out. Yeah, well, you can always you can just taste when somebody's put a lot of energy and a lot of like you know a lot of care into what they're doing. I mean, it's kind of cliche to be like, oh, you know, cooking with love or whatever, but I mean, it it is it is true. It's like you know. There's not many other things that like where there's a level of trust yeah. with, with food. I mean, I like, I mean, besides a doctor, you're some not strangers giving you something that's going to put this in your body. <laughs> <laughs> like usually they call the cops when people say that. <laughs> I got some black magic here. This is a balsamic and hasket berry reduction. I think that might work. What kind well of berry? Hasket berry. What's that? Uh, it's a berry that they, uh... grows in Siberia naturally. It's huh. a um, Arctic growing berry. Similar to what? Blueberry? Day. Or kind of a blueberry gooseberry cross. Yeah. Right? Okay. Do you have any do you have any final thoughts on, on schnitzel? On schnitzel? Uh that it's the funnest food in the world probably to say outside of maybe gooey duck. Did you um, say it has a blank canvas yet? No, I haven't said oh, that. Oh wait, he's got a speech for you. Oh, oh, blank uh, canvas. It <laughs> sounds really promising. The blank canvas. I mean that's basically what the schnitzel is for us here. Is uh is an outlet. I mean we can take that schnitzel and serve that schnitzel so many different ways and not even call it schnitzel or we can call it schnitzel 
<laughs> you can you can you can dress it up a thousand different ways and, and call it a thousand different things, but it's still uh, it's still always good to eat. It's it's it's, it's you know it's schnitzel at the end of the day. What uh do you, do you know what schnitzel means? I think pork, like pounded. Well, no, actually, <laughs> you know, I had a guy call up here the other day and then tell me that it, it meant pounded pork, but I don't think that is a hundred percent right. I don't know. Yeah. I'd be interested in this schnitzel party. I'm going to eat my schnitzel. (laughs) Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks for making schnitzel. Check the Pantry is a production of KBBI AM 890 in Homer, Alaska. It's hosted by Jeff Lockwood. Today's guests were Vincent and Jessica Johnson of the Schnitzel Bomber in Soldatna. The theme music is String Quartet Opus 10, Movement 2 by Claude Debussy, performed by Quatuor Ebain. This is the first episode of the winter 2020 season of Check the Pantry. Your financial donation as a listener makes this and other KBBI programs possible. Visit the KBBI public radio website at kbbi.org support to help produce programs like this. Thank you.